We are in week 42 of the 50 States, 50 Weeks, and 50 Coffee Shop series. I'm talking with Ian Goodman from Goodman Coffee Roasters in Tennessee. Shout out to Bella from Heavenly Hawaiian Coffee for recommending the shop to me. Thank you so much, Bella. I had such a good time talking with Ian. He's a very humble shop owner. He also has a huge heart for people who are growing coffee and is in the process of creating a short documentary about the coffee growing world. As someone who has successfully started two coffee shop businesses, Ian recommends a few tidbits of tricks for people who are either business owners or who want to own a coffee shop. So with that, grab your coffee or tea and let's dive right in. Ian Goodman, and uh, owner of Goodman Coffee Roasters, and we're in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We have a couple of retail stores and then a wholesale roasting company. Yeah. How'd you get started with that? Quite a while ago, in the early 90s when I was in high school, I worked for a coffee shop in St. Louis. And at first, it was just sort of a job. And really, the coffee there was terrible, looking back on it. But he did make me read a book. And all of a sudden, I just sort of got into it. And then I was dating a girl who lived north of Seattle and went and visited her. And that was really early in sort of the booming of the coffee scene, even in the Pacific Northwest. And I got hooked. I was... I just lo- I loved the cafe culture, I loved coffee, I loved, and so I started my first coffee company in 96 when I was a senior in college. I owned that one for 12 years and before I sold it, and then, I don't know, after six or so years, I really missed being in coffee. I missed, mm. you know, I missed the people at Origin, I missed just sort of the cafe style life, and yeah, and I just was passionate about coffee, so I just sort of missed being in it, so I started this one up almost seven years ago. So you've already done this whole business start to finish. Yeah. And then, I, you know, I was in 95, I came in second in the national barista competitions and that was fun. And so I, yeah, I've been doing it in coffee for a long time and always enjoyed, just been very passionate about the people, the cultures that grow the coffee as well as culturally what it is in our country. Mm, yeah. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I've always had a heart for the people in a lot of these countries that grow our coffee and really what I'm focusing on now is sustainability is really important but economic and financial sustainability for the people who grow our coffees is really important and I see so many like even when I travel around the world seeing a lot of small farms just shutting up and growing something else because they can't make enough money growing coffee or they're not. So finding ways that we can look at them more as a partner, you know, it really in order for specialty coffee to fully to succeed and have long-term sustainability, we, we have to make sure that the people growing the product that we sell are making money. They can be profitable. They can take care of their family. They can take care of the people who work on the farm. Finding ways that you know, we can be a partner with them. You know, even though we're small, we can, you know, we're not a huge roaster, but we can impact a few farms, you know, and work with them to help them get better and to become more financially sustainable, which only benefits, it also benefits us. You know, the, the more successful and sustainable they become financially, the more they will put into the effort of making sure they're putting out a good product and you know it just it's a win for everybody the more we can focus on 
on them being successful. Do you work with uh, quite a few farms or do you have just a select few that you work with long-term? I think we're six or seven that we work directly with right now. And then the rest of the coffees we carry, we'll use brokers or like a cafe imports or someone like that, you know, especially for coffees that we don't go through a ton of per year. Totally. Yeah, that makes sense. With the partnership with these farms, do you have a favorite farmer or farm that you've visited in the past? I love the people we work with down in Colombia. You know, the the farms are beautiful. The people are amazing. Felipe, who owns, I think, of Intola, is doing some really amazing things with coffee. And really, Colombia has been fun to watch, you know, because uh, 20, 25 years ago, Colombian coffee was much different than it is today. You know, the Federation had a tight control over how coffee was processed, handled, exported, and their goal was uniformity of profile, basically. You know, so, you know, you get your different regions of Colombian coffees, and there would be minor differences, but your average consumer is, it's just going to taste pretty much all the same. It was classic notes, chocolatey, nutty, you know, and about a decade ago when the Federation loosed those practices and let them process different ways like that, we've seen tremendous experimentation in Colombia and some really fun and wild coffees coming out of there that's just been mm. kind of, and so that's, which I think is great. I mean, um, I think it's also a good thing for the farmer. I mean, if you look, so what they can sell, like, you know, take their normal washed coffee that they might get four bucks a pound for, they can do some experimental fermentations that they, that we might pay nine or $10 a pound for. And so kind of helping them along and, and kind of working together to create coffees for special coffees and special releases is a way that they can increase their revenue and we can get some really cool, fun, different coffees out of it. Mm, I see. So really by you buying their beans and being really integrated into their business, you're helping your side of the business as well. And those who are consuming coffee, hopefully getting even more refined of a palate because their coffee is actually excellent (laughs) that they're trying relationships like this handled well everybody gets benefit the farmer has avenues for making more money we get fun and interesting coffees and the consumer gets fun and interesting coffees but yeah so it it ends up being kind of a a win for everybody if it's if it's done right you know i mean it's coffee globally is generally for mass consumption extremely exploitative of the people who grow the coffee you just a lot of people are more you know it's bottom line they're trying to get the cheapest price they're taking advantage of people who don't necessarily have a good economic understanding of you know the example pablo one of the smaller farmers we work with in colombia getting him to agree to sell us all of his coffee and even at a higher price, but then you get these, I don't know, I forget what they call them, but they basically just come around to the farms, offer them a cheap amount of money per pound and buy it all. But getting him to understand, not looking at the guy holding $2,000 in his hand, but someone who's willing to pay him $4,000, but it might be in two months. It's a little difficult for some of them to look past and go, okay, this is going to be better for me if we work and do this rather than an immediate cash that this guy's offering me right now. 
it's a little slow, but I think the more you, we can help them understand that, hey, we are here to partner with you because we want you to succeed as much as we want ourselves to succeed because we want to keep getting good coffee. You know, and even in Colombia, that's, you know, we work a lot, Lucas and Sophia, they have, a, they help us import the coffees from Colombia with Unblended, you know, and their goal is to kind of make coffee farming exciting for a younger generation. And we see around the world, most of our coffee farmers, especially in Colombia, the average age is like mid sixties. And so I think when we start talking about sustainability, that word means so many different things really, but I think we need to focus on that financial sustainability and finding ways to get young people where they can look at it and go, okay, I actually can make a good living, support a family by growing coffee. And if we don't focus on that as an industry, I'm afraid we'll lose a lot of good coffee. Mm, so I, yeah. a little bit of a, to me, I, I just, it seems like we need to make sure that's what we're focusing on first, and then we can focus on everything else. And the longevity of coffee, making sure that it's around long-term, even after these farmers retire, right. leave, or pass away, how do we continue on this legacy in a way that is appealing to other farmers who are younger and allows them to actually have a yeah. livelihood? It's a tricky so, yeah. balance. Yeah. No, it, it is. And that's part of the reason why we're kind of making that documentary is to, I think your average coffee consumer or probably even most coffee consumers don't really have an idea or a grasp on what actually it takes to produce the coffee. When people think of a great coffee, they tend to think of the roaster who did the great coffee. And we can certainly ruin a great coffee as a roaster, but the only reason why we can make a great coffee great is because of the work they did on the farm. Yeah. And, you know, kind of honoring that work, getting people to understand coffee is such a cheap luxury item. Even auction lots that I've got, like we just got one from Yemen, and that's a very expensive coffee. But even at, you know, $150 a pound, you're still looking at a cup cost is cheap. What, like three bucks maybe for a cup? And getting people to understand, sure, you're not going to drink a coffee like that as a daily drinker for 99% of the world. That would not be realistic, you know, but it's still a way we can enjoy some of the most rare or expensive coffees in the world and it not be too much per cup, you hmm. know. So. Yeah. I think the other part of that, too, is we in the United States are a little bit disconnected because really only Hawaii grows coffee. So we don't see it in our own backyard. I think that's part of why it's helpful that you're doing this documentary and putting together that background story because we don't see it and don't see the labor or everything that goes into it behind the scenes. Right. Well, I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit about what it's like to own a coffee shop from start to finish and then restart from scratch again. For those who are either looking to open a shop or to start a business, what would you recommend they do or not do? Mistakes that I made on the first go around, you know, I was young. Being young, you have a, an amazing ability, amazing ability to do stupid things. You know, making bad financial decisions, or spending more money, or than I needed to spend, or you know, in creating a hole. So 
that took me a long time to dig out of the first go around. You know, so I think having a good financial plan, having the money to back what you're doing, and then being careful, being able to assess, hey, is this is this something we need that's going to help the business or right now, or is it something that I just really want because it's really cool, but it's not going to turn around and make money for the business. So, I mean, just simple decisions like that of, you know, there's lots of cool coffee gadgetry and, you know, you don't need all of that when you start, you know, you do need a good brewer, you do need a good grinders, you do need a good espresso machine, you know, but some of the extra stuff, just being careful how much you spend when you start is important. And then the biggest mistake I see a lot of people do when they start shops is just, they're excited about owning a coffee shop, but they don't spend the time to learn really understanding coffee and extraction and just sort of some of the deeper things behind the coffee. And then they, you know, end up putting out kind of a mediocre product. So I think spending time on making sure you understand what it is you do on all levels to then successfully come in and open a shop. Coffee basics at its core. Yeah. And it's amazing the number of people that they may, or maybe even learn the basics, but then quit trying to learn or don't think about learning after they know the basics, you know, Mm. and I've been doing coffee for 26 years and I'm still learning, you know, and we have to be willing to adapt and learn and to keep moving the product forward. Yeah. I like that. I have a lot of appreciation for education and the willingness to learn and wanting to ask more questions. And that's the beauty of coffee I've found is that there's always more to learn. Yeah. You know, and I think the other thing that a lot of small business owners in general forget is we all get in, we, you know, we generally all get into something because we love, we love coffee. So we decide we want to, we want to do coffee, you know, or whatever you end up loving. But then also coming to the, you know, getting people to realize before they get into it that that is only a, a portion and a lot of times a small portion of what you end up doing as you run a business. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you know, I remember the first time, the first business I started, I was like, I didn't need a business degree. I needed a psychology degree. Learning how to handle employees, how to handle all those interactions. And then, you know, then you got the business side of things. You've got, there's there's so many hats you wear as an entrepreneur and that can get exhausting, especially if you don't know going into it that there's a lot of other stuff you have to take care of unless you can afford to hire people to take care of all of it, you know, but that gets expensive in the startup phase. Right. Along with all of the equipment and (laughs) back-end parts. Yeah. I think that's really wise to think through all those parts and to realize, like you said, it's not always glamorous work that gets done in a coffee shop. Right. Yeah. I'd like to transition a little bit and talk about Tennessee coffee and coffee culture there. Any shops that you recommend in the area and just kind of an overall feel for someone who hasn't been to Tennessee. What is it like? There's actually a fair bit of good coffee in Tennessee. And the first one I started we were one very early on, if not one of the first to be like a third wave before that was even a phrase, but the, you know, of focusing on the farms and the farmer and 
roasting coffee and having kind of an expansive line, you know, into now we're in Chattanooga. We're, we're not that big a town, but there's quite a few, I don't know, like nine different coffee roasters here. Wow. Uh, you know, on a lot of shops. So, I mean, Chattanooga's got kind of an impressive little coffee culture for the size of the town it is. But then, you know, in Nashville, there's a lot of great ones in Nashville, Crema, Good Citizen. There's some, you know, some really good shops in Nashville as well. But it's been fun to sort of watch the coffee culture grow in Tennessee since kind of barely from the beginning. And that really was the, the thing that made my, also my first shop much harder than the second, this, this series that I've done. Is the first go around, it was so much of educating the customer base on okay. why it's worth spending more money on coffee, why, why this coffee is worth more than what's at the grocery store. You know, I mean, it was, it was a new, in the mid-90s, there were huge chunks of people in our town that had never been to a coffee shop and the, their experience with coffee shops was friends you know seeing it on friends uh, you know yeah. or traveled and went to somewhere in seattle or something you know it was just sort of a really new thing and everything that was made was really new and so getting people to understand why back then you know it's nine or ten dollars for a pound of coffee why spend that when i can go to the grocery store and get coffee for a buck 99 so it's been kind of fun to see that shift and how much in 20, 25 years, well, the nation as a whole, really, but Tennessee shifting and Chattanooga especially shifting to having an appreciation and understanding and of the value of good coffee. That is an interesting shift from the very beginning of coffee culture there to now to see from the business point of view how the customers have changed their perspective. And do you think that's because of a younger audience being interested or is it the same customer base? It's just more normalized to have a lot more shops around. I think it's just that it's more normalized. Demographically wise, we have a huge, like a big range of people that, that buy and it's kind of always been, been that way. So I think it, so yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure. I think most of it is just that the average coffee consumer knows more about coffee now. Mm, you know, yeah. they know more about the drinks. You know, there are more people at home that are brewing much better cups of coffee and taking time to learn. That shift has just happened, but I don't think it's necessarily an age-related shift. I think it's just a general coffee consumer shift, ah, at least for us. Okay. Thanks to marketing. <laughs> yeah. And education was of the customer was such a huge part of our my first go arounds and it, that helped. And once you get enough people, then it, you know, that just keeps spreading and more people are. But the thing that's nice is that it can be coffee. It, it can be, it can get expensive as a hobby to buy, but it's not uh, all the equipment and stuff. But you can, with a few hundred dollars, you can geek out on coffee for a long time. It's true. <laughs> so I think that helps. It seems like coffee, good coffee is more accessible to home brewers who Absolutely. want to make good coffee and do a pour over, you know, for instance, is an option. Yeah, there's access to online videos. I mean, there's, there's so much information now that your average person at home with a little bit of effort can make a good cup of coffee. Whereas in the mid 90s, it was much harder to 
you know, I mean, most people at the, you know, the coffee brewer, it was just a, a crappy little Mr. Coffee from the grocery store, which is never going to make a good cup of coffee. Yeah, there's so many more ways for people to to do a better job. And it is, and the coffee, the coffee is way better now. I mean, the caliber of green coffee I buy now is worlds better than what I could buy 20, 25 years ago. Wow. Okay. You know, so we're, you know, seeing the, the shift in, on the production side in country is there, you're seeing that shift of them taking more care is, has been really important and has really helped specialty coffee grow and succeed, you know, because it is, it's easy now to get a coffee and have explosive flavor profile notes that almost anybody can pull out. You know, I mean, it is from the different anaerobic fermentations or naturals or any of those different things, you're getting wild things that a person that drinks it goes, oh, wow, I really can taste cherry or blueberry or the floral note or whatever. It, they, they're much more pronounced, I think, to me than they used to be. And I think that that has also having the consumer be able to go, oh, I really see what you're saying when you say these profile notes going, instead of going, well, it tastes like coffee. I mean, like, maybe <laughs> I see what you're saying in the background, yeah. but I, you know, I just don't get the notes you're talking about. And which is, which is normal. I mean, most people aren't tasters, but the, but now I think that it's, the coffee's so much better. The notes are easier to pull out and taste especially for, you know, the prominent notes of a, t- of a coffee, that that gets the consumer excited. So like, oh, wow, I can tell a difference. I can taste these things in coffee. And, and then it gets them on the road to exploration of what else is there, you know, Ooh, um, and yeah. what, else can, what else can I taste? And it, it, gets, it gets them excited. Yeah, especially if you're excited about it. I'm sure, sure. there's some of that that rubs off on too those who are trying new things and who can actually taste it. That's pretty, I mean, it's pretty fun to be able to share that experience. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. You mentioned a few coffee shops. Do you have any others that you recommend? There's a few, and I can think of like Nashville, Crema, Barista Parlor, Good Citizen. Here in town, you know, Bellows doing some good things with coffee. There's a lot of fun shops here that are that are good and a lot of great ones in Nashville. But Knoxville, you've got is it Honeybee? That's pretty good. Awesome. I just want to say thank you for what you're doing in the coffee world and trying to change what is happening behind the scenes on the coffee farms and as a consumer. It means a lot to me to hear that and to actually see change happening. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Thanks for the time.